Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Awesome Movies Podcast. This is Michael. This is Lawrence. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you? We've got a very special episode for you this week. Uh, what do we have on, on hand for you today? Uh, well, assuming everything goes well in the next 30 minutes, you're listening to the Mark's Summers interview episode. If it does not go well, you'll never hear this. So, what can I say? And we'll just drop tracks from our progressive uh, rock group, the Mark Summers Experiment. <laughs> Say more words. Uh, so yeah, we are going to be interviewing Mark Summers here in a few minutes, uh, and we hope that that goes as well as uh, as well as I've dreamed about. And if you think I haven't had two straight nights of dreams about this interview, you would be wrong because I have. Is I that what is that? Is that anxiety? Is may, that maybe what that's is, what that is? I had a dream I was in a hotel and people stole my cub stuff from inside the hotel. So you have a fear of people stealing your Cub stuff. I have a fear of us not having a good interview with Mark Summers or it not happening. But inside the hotel, there were booby traps oh. filled with uh, uh, final uh, double dare, the final portion of the double dare where you go through the uh, the tongue and the teeth. Oh, you're lying now. You're, you're <laughs> just saying that. Uh, I do real quick. I'm sure we'll plug this again later on. But if you do want to, uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the Mark Summers movie, uh, which, assuming everything goes well again. So if you want to uh, get a hold of Mark uh, at Twitter, it's Mark Summers Time. Uh, that's M A R C, not K. Uh, Instagram at Mark at Mark Summers Movie, and Facebook uh, slash Mark Summers Movie. So facebook.com slash Mark Summers movie. Uh, you can also, uh, they are also available. Uh, they have their own accounts, but uh, we'll probably discuss those. But those are the main ones for the movie that we're going to talk about today. Uh, what are you looking forward to most about this interview, Michael? Um, I just want all, my, I want all my wildest dreams to come true, Glenn. You know, professionals, and I say that in quotes, Michael, they wouldn't do uh, an intro like this until after the interview, but not <laughs> us. We nope. fly by the seat of our pants. Not us. I think I I I just hope he's uh he's exactly what he is on TV. I know it's kind of un unrealistic expectations, but you're like, can you be exact? Can you, when I go to the concert, I want to to play the the song exactly how it appeared on the record. <laughs> well, have you watched the trailer for this movie? I've watched it probably ten times, and it's awesome. No, I watched uh, some snippet of it, um, and uh, I watched. There's some clips of him doing his live performance when he did his his theater production, and it just seems like. This is this is like him exercising his demons to a certain extent, but in a healthy way. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll hopefully talk about some of that. But uh, this is just, uh, it's a dream come true. Uh, we first talked about having him on the show on air, I think, four years ago. Uh, so the fact that it's happening now is awesome. Uh, and I just, I look forward to it. I can't wait. So I don't think you guys should have to wait any longer. Uh, anything else, Michael? Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, next up, our interview with Mark Summers. On your mark, get set, go! It's Dr. Fra Fra Frankenstein. Good looking, 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 family. How come I can't get this together today? It's a crazy, 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 crazy day. On your mark, get set, go! Slums Canal, okay. Slums Canal, okay. Slums Canal, okay. Sorry about the jacket. Uh, we'll talk about it later. On your mark. Get set. Go! 
You have to drown every one of these little guys. A Shem, a Larry, a Curly, or a Moe. They drowned those poor little duckies. Harvey and I had a day off. Harvey, tell them what we did. Well, this is Michael and Lawrence back from the Awesome 80s Podcast. We're bringing you Mark Summers. Hello, Mark. How's it going, guys? Thank you so uh, much. It's going thank, great. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. And yeah, also on... Thank you. And also online is a uh, returning guest, uh, Matthew Clickstein. So thank you. Welcome back, my- Matthew. Thanks for having me back, guys. Really appreciate it. What What uh, did he do to deserve this uh, a second time? Tell me what the first <laughs> interview was about. Uh, well, it was about Slimed. So he, <laughs> oh, okay. um, he must have represented his book well. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's let me forget. It was it was partly Mark's book as well. Not only was he a big uh, interviewee throughout the entire book, but he wrote the foreword to the to the book, which was definitely a very valuable aspect of the book. I think. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. And so, Mark, I'm speaking to you currently from Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, you originally being from Bloomington, Indiana. The other. No, I'm from Indianapolis, actually. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Did you go? Did you perform your uh, show in Bloomington? Yeah, we did the one-man show uh, down at the place called Bloomington uh, Playwrights Project, and so that's where the show opened. Okay, that's that's my mistake then. So yes, so okay, so you're just down 74, about two and a half hours, than where you're from originally. Um, yeah. So what prompted uh, you first will discuss kind of the one-man show and into what re- resulted into the movie. So what prompted you to, to write and then want to perform the show? Well, I didn't write it. Uh, a man by the name of Alex Brightman, who uh, recently started on Broadway in School of Rock and has been in about five or six Broadway shows uh, and is soon to do a, another one. He's going to be playing the lead in Beetlejuice. Um, and it's coming to Broadway. Um, I, I had done Summer Stock in uh, Long Beach Island, New Jersey, met a guy by the name of Drew Gasparini and uh, kind of hitched my uh, wagon to his star. And next thing I know, I was performing in New York with a bunch of 20-somethings who were on and off Broadway. And uh, they had all grown up watching me and thought it was kind of fun to hang out. And um, after performing at Studio 54 Below and Joe's Pub in New York City, I said, you know, I think I want to do a one-man show. And for about three years, Alex Brightman and Drew Gasparini and I went to dinner, uh, you know, like every couple of months, and they would just ask me questions and take notes. And uh, next thing I know, uh, they have a script. We do a reading in New York City, and about four months later, I'm in Bloomington, Indiana, getting ready to perform the thing. And, and theater was something I always wanted to do. Um, I got sidetracked uh, uh, doing, you know, shows where I was throwing green liquids at kids and then <laughs> talking about, uh, you know, Fig Newtons to uh, America and things like that. But it always came back to I wanted to be on stage. And um, and so luckily I was at the right place at the right time and met some people and asked a lot of questions. And before I know it, I'm on stage doing a 90-minute show. Then we did it at the Adirondack Theater Festival. And, you know, now we're meeting with all sorts of folks who have interest to take it off Broadway. So, uh, you know, one never knows in life where uh, these little experiences are going to take you. So in doing the show, how how long did you prepare to do the show? Uh, my whole life. Uh, <laughs> because the show was about, uh, yes, the show was all about uh, the trials and tribulations of growing up and, you know, having virtually no talent, but watching television and wanting to be a part of, you know, a live entertaining television and how that happened from being a disc jockey to a magician and 
finding my way to Boston and uh, New York and Los Angeles. And um, we rehearsed it for about four weeks and then did three weeks of performances in Bloomington and finished that up uh, sometime in mid-April. And then uh, last August, we did it at the Adirondack Theater Festival in a different kind of form. The original theater that we did in Bloomington was an 80-seat black box theater. And then we go into a 300-seater at the Adirondacks. And so... The show was seven, eight, nine minutes longer each night because of the amount of people and the amount of laughs and just the whole, you know, bigger-than-life situation. And so, you know, uh, some people dream about doing these things, and because of my persistence, and that's, I think, one of the reasons uh, there are many that uh, Matt Klix, uh, Klickstein and I get... Is it Klickstein or Klickstein? I always go Klickstein, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Matt and I always get... Uh, We've been working together for years now. You think I'd know that. Um, I, you know, we don't take no for an answer, and we find ways to get things done. And all you have to do is tell Matt or Mark Summers no, and the next thing, it's done. Uh, we take care of it. Uh, we had a situation recently with a movie where we lost the theater due to circumstances beyond our control, and Matt, in 48 hours, had a better theater and a better situation with more PR. And so... Um, he's sort of like my adopted son because we have <laughs> the same ambition. We have uh, the same work ethic. Uh, either one of us sleep much. Uh, our phones ring pretty much, uh, you know, all hours of the night. Um, and we talk probably two or three times a day. And and once again, my wife will always say, what do these people have in common with you? They're pretty much half your age. But, you know, they're all sort of miniature versions of me, which I love and identify with. And as soon as I kind of discover that work ethic I, I hone in on it and those are the people I want to hang out with yeah I have to uh, agree with Mark if I could just interject and obviously I'm, I'm very complimented and wowed by Mark saying such things about me it's been a very fascinating journey becoming working with Mark becoming close friends with Mark and he's right it's been a few years now so to grow up on Double Bear and Unwrapped and some of the other shows with Mark to talk to him and then become close friends with him and now work with him uh, has really been a very special experience. Um, but I do agree that we have two things in common, actually. One is we both don't take no for an answer. And, in fact, no will kickstart us into wanting to make <laughs> whatever he told no to happen anyway. He's right. Our, our Los Angeles theater is part of our unfortunately had to shut down briefly so we very quickly had to put something else together and I just made that happen it's one of the things that I do and why Mark likes to work with me and other people as well um, but also I have a very like Mark a very compassionate loving and supportive and encouraging wife and one of the things I like to tell people about Mark is that he's not just a good television host and a good television producer and now in theater and whatnot he's a very good man and I know his family. I know his wife. He's been married to her for 40, 45 years. That's very impressive, especially in Hollywood. And I really, and, and all the things I aspire to, to be like Mark, um, his work ethic and his ability to make things happen and everything else that he's done in an incredible career, I really aspire to having the kind of relationship with his wife that he has because I, I very much love my Wait a minute. Wife. You're having a relationship with my wife? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're good friends, Matt, but i got to draw the line, you know? Shocking so, revelations yeah, here. Seriously, I, yeah, I, I was getting a little bit sentimental and sad there. But no, seriously, I, I think that Mark and I are very lucky that we have our drive, and then we have, and really not just our wives, but also our friends, 
and all the people we're working with. You know, Mark and I have put together a really amazing team of people with his theater show and with the film. Um, the people that we've been working with, Josh Yon in particular, definitely needs a shout out. Uh, he's our editor and producer, and he's done so many things that we couldn't have done. Eric Cups, John Nickham, uh, Russ Fury, our, um, our DP. Uh, we just have been very lucky and fortunate to have so many people that we're working with. We have a great team in Kansas called Through a Glass that's been doing our post-production work along with Josh and his team back in Texas. They're, you know, These are people in Texas that are getting hit with Hurricane Harvey, and they're still doing work. I mean, it's incredible the people that we're working with, and we're all doing it because we have learned from Mark how to just persist and to do it anyway, right? whether there's a storm or someone says no or a theater gets shut down, and that's really what drives us. So I, I'm very appreciative that of Mark, but also of the group of people we have working with us all over the country to make this thing happen. That's yeah, awesome. and it's interesting, you know, Matt put this team together. I didn't know any of this. You know, Matt had come to me and said, you know, we should do a movie, and twice I said, no, we're not doing that because who cares? And he finally convinced me, and I'm glad he did because uh, it came out amazing. It's brilliant. I mean, I just uh, – I don't even know how, how film works. I don't get the whole process. I don't know uh, – I mean, there's a story and a TV show that you tell, but a film is a whole different ball of wax. So I just handed kind of my life, praying to God that the thing was going to work, and when I saw the first cut, I went, holy cow, I had no idea. Um, so, so that's super cool. But he put these people together, some of which he knew and some of which he didn't. Uh, they were sort of like references from other people, and this guy's good, so I'm supposed to use him. And then we've become this close-knit family because uh, Matt <laughs> rents a house and puts a bunch of people in Bloomington, Indiana, to follow me around, uh, <laughs> which is a whole other movie, by the way. And, and, you know, magically it just happened. And, you know, to make those things work, you have to pretend the camera's not there and being in the industry for over 40 years, I kind of know how to do that. But I, I wasn't used to, you know, what this experience was. And they made it very comfortable, and, and they killed it, man. It's just amazing. I'm, I'm super excited. To, you know, if you go to marksummersmovie.com, you'll see all about the movie. You'll see a trailer, and you'll also see the cities that we're going to. Uh, we open October 8th in Los Angeles, and then we go to New York on the 12th and Philadelphia on the 13th, and you will follow from there Austin, uh, uh, Chicago, Baltimore, and um, so we're trying to hit all different parts of the country, and hopefully people get a chance to take a look at it and enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to put you guys on hold for two seconds. Don't go away. You guys talk amongst yourselves. i got to grab this. Don't go away. All right. okay. okay, no problem. Just, just, we were talking. just to tag in there, because I think it's really important to note, um, and especially for a lot of the Mark Summers fans out there, we really deal with in the film uh, a little bit of what Mark was talking about, where uh, it was so uh, effortless for him to um, be filmed while we were uh, around and observing him, especially for that first part when we were all together there for an entire month watching him develop his theater show. Um, we obviously shot a lot of other things since then uh, with some of his celebrity uh, friends and, and colleagues like Ryan Seacrest, Neil Patrick Harris, Guy Fieri, who's been very supportive and helpful with the project and others. Um, but I think one of the things that a lot of people will take from this film is that Mark has such a, a genuine authenticity, which I know seems a little repetitive, but in this day and age, uh, with so much artifice in Hollywood and celebrities and whatnot, it was very refreshing to be around someone like Mark who was able to just be himself um, completely, even when the cameras were on. And I think that people will be very surprised when they see the film, because you're not used to that kind of you know, intimate earnestness in, in films like this. Uh, and, you know, we're really going to actually see a real perspective of Mark that I think people haven't really seen very much of. That said, 
um, you know, we, again, we talk about this in the film, and we have, you know, uh, a, an old friend and colleague of Mark's, Phil Moore, the host of Nick Arcade, also on Nickelodeon around that time. He makes a great point that Mark really led the, the whole scene in what's become so regular now on YouTube and everything else, where he was just the guy, you know, and he would just stand there on the podium, you know, his arm there, like he's just hanging out and hanging out with you. And knowing Mark as I have over the years and introducing him to friends of mine, you know, just want to meet Mark Summers, they always come away saying, that felt like I, I knew him for years. Mark is so good at just being there with you and being a guy and, and really caring about what you have to say and being really honest about it, listening. He is an inveterate host. I mean, that's why he does what he does. So making a film about him worked very, very well because there was never a sense of he was posing or mugging or was pretending to do anything just for the film. It was all very real moments. I, I really feel strongly that we kind of broke, you know, something very new as far as the reality show milieu or the these kinds of documentaries. And a lot of it is, again, thanks to just Mark has this quality of being very, very real. And, again, that shows in his films, and, and I'm sorry, in his uh, TV shows and whatnot, like Double Dare and Unwrapped. I think that's why those shows endured for so long. And now I get to be the one who's lucky enough to capture that thing, put it in a jar, shake it up, and then blow it in <laughs> everybody's face in this film. That I think they're gonna so that's what's going on. <laughs> you, you just described my life at the comedy store in the uh, 70s. Wait a minute. Hold on. Here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I so, never did drugs. That was a it was an opportunity. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so as you're going around and touring this film, uh, are you getting a good a chance to interact uh, with some of your fans as well as you go from city to city? That's the game plan. Uh, you know, uh, I've done that throughout my entire career. You know, we toured Double Dare for eight years. We did 40 personal appearances a year for eight years. And, and um, you know, if you can't interact with the people who watched all those years, what fun is it, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I'd love to hear the stories and, and find out, you know, building obstacle courses in your parents' living room, dining room, and, you know, getting grounded for a, a month and, and just whatever the stories are. And, you know, I've been sort of uh, Dick Clarkish in that, kids grew up watching me on Double Dare and What Would You Do and then followed me over to Food Network and uh, it's a pretty loyal audience. I've been doing it, you know, since I went on, first time on television in 1976. Okay, that's frightening. Um, <laughs> so I've been around a while and uh, you know, these people have been very, very kind and you know, why why not hang out with them and have a drink or, or whatever. So yeah, we're going to be playing uh, in some cities uh, some physical challenges and doing a lot of Q&A, and there's pretty much no question that I won't answer. You know, uh, I'm a pretty open book. I think everybody knows pretty much everything about me anyway, but, um, you know, uh, it's just it's just fun. I'm looking forward to this like crazy. So, yeah, Lauren, I wanted to yes. just add in there, because I think this is a really important part of why we're doing this for, um, which is, again, like the film and like Mark's uh, career in life is very unconventional. It's actually caused some interesting learning curves with things like licensing songs and so forth because what we're doing is actually quite uh, unique with this particular kind of tour. We are sort of foregoing the typical film festival circuit to start with. You know, later down the road maybe we might look into that or if we get some more invitations obviously as we continue to do as people are learning about the film. 
but Mark and I um, really wanted to do something very special, and we wanted to celebrate not only the film and his life and career and this amazing theater show that he and Alex Brightman and Drew Gasparini and all these great people put together that the film really focuses on, but also just to celebrate the community that has grown up around Mark over all of these years, all the 80s and 90s kids, and now even younger people who are learning about it the way that we might have watched you know, Twilight Zone or been into Woodstock or whatnot when we were younger. Um, you know, the previous generation. And we want to give something to them. So we really wanted to go out and say, we're not just going to drop this thing on Netflix or Amazon or whatnot to start with. Maybe later down the road some more people can see it. We want to get people out of the house. We want to get them to go someplace and to be somewhere where there's other Nick fans, there's other fans of Mark, or even just people want to see the film. There'll be live music. There'll be Double Dare games. There'll be trivia. We really want to make something that is a unique experience every place we go to. And in fact, each place we go to, we have local bands playing. We have local, you know, celebrity guests. We have local partners from radio stations to different organizations and whatnot. To, so that you, you will not be able to duplicate this thing just watching at home on Netflix or Amazon or, you know, a cable channel. You know, we would obviously love to do that maybe later down the road. But this is going to be a very special kind of experience where, you know, going to have to get out of the, off the couch and out of the house and go and have a really fun night. We're doing a few. And here's the other thing. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, how many times did you, you know, watch television? And I grew up watching you know, Johnny Carson, Ed Sullivan, you know, those kind of folks. And, you know, never in my wildest dreams would it ever have happened that I would get a chance to interact with a person that I grew up watching. And so there's an opportunity that I think, you know, it, it's somewhat paying back, uh, you know, the audience for being so loyal. But, you know, it's fun. I mean, I know certain celebrities don't want to interact and, you know, don't look me in the eye and all that other kind of stuff. Hell, we're just people. You know, you're not special because you're on television. And I think that that's the aspect that I enjoy the most because we do this thing called Drunk Double Dare in Philadelphia during Beer Week every year. <laughs> and, you know, the same people tend to come out, but then we get, you know, the newbies as well. And why? Because between shows, we, Harvey and Robin and I do pictures and autographs and tell stories and do shtick. And, you know, it's just fun. And because it's one big family is what it's about. And without those kids growing up and watching us and having those stories, you know, uh, things wouldn't be where they are in my life. And so it's just, it's the whole thing's cool, you know. And I'm, and I'm glad that uh, Mr. Clickstein uh, or Clickstein, take your pick, uh, <laughs> um, actually followed up and 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 got me to do this thing it was it was a good deal so as a parent of children who are the age i was when i first started watching double dare uh i was very excited last year when nickelodeon did the special uh where you where they would air some of the old episodes and then they cut in with uh you doing some of the newer version uh that you guys filmed Uh, was that a lot of fun to just get back and do that in front of the camera again it was pretty scary because, you know, let's face it, we haven't done it in 20 years. And we had a, a mini rehearsal, I mean, mini, mini rehearsal uh, day of. And then we just did it. But it, it sort of, for me, after doing 525 episodes, is like riding a bike. Uh, it, it's sort of like you never left. But I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. And you're doing it in a nightclub and people are older and they're drinking. And, um, yeah, we it was it was cool. Uh had a really good, you know, time, and and you know, I continue to do it for private parties around the country, and you know, various events, and every now and then, uh, an ad sales event for uh, Viacom, uh, who want to bring back the nostalgia aspect and whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of never gone away, and I, I get to brush up on it every now and then, and yeah, it's all cool, it's all fun, you know. I, 
listen, uh, if I had my life to live over again, I'd pretty much do it the same way. It's, it's been, you know, uh, a great ride. From uh, This is Michael here. Uh, from a fan's point of view, it felt like there's a little more intimacy in the 80s and the early 90s programming on Nickelodeon because it felt like they used, like, real kids. Like, you could actually see yourself in the kids that are on Nickelodeon. And I, did, I definitely felt like it helped us relate. I mean, do you, do you think that was the case? That was a key point. Yeah, I always say that, you know, on Disney, it was blonde hair, blue eyes, perfect, you know, coiffed children. And on uh, on our show, it was kids with acne and bad hair and, uh, <laughs> you know, had trouble walking and chewing gum. But that's generally how people are. And, you know, we, we were shooting in Philadelphia because it was cheap. We, you know, spent like $16,000 an episode when we started in 86. And the Philly accent, now I've lived in Philadelphia now for on and off for the last, uh, you know, 40 years. But, you know, for the last 12 years, I've been there doing restaurant impossible and dinner impossible is where my office has been but when i first got there the accent is bizarre and you know they say instead of saying water they say water they say i gotta talk in the phone and 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 so they have this one term where during the summer everybody in philly goes now you and i would say we go down to the water or we go to the beach well they say i go down shore uh, what go down shore and what they're saying is they're going down to the shore, going but with the Philly colloquialism, it's down to shore. So they're going to down to shore. And, I, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I'm on, you know, episode four, and I said, what do you like to do for fun? And the kid says, I like to go down to shore. And I go, excuse me? And I, down to shore. And, and I, I'm looking at the producer, like, what language is this kid speaking? And so, you know, it, it was all those things of the colloquialisms and you know, I, I kind of made fun of the kids in a in a fun way, and they, they knew I wasn't uh, making the joke, you know, uh, at their expense, but we were just kind of having fun with a wink and a nod. And also, you know, we always threw in one adult joke a day for the parents, and parents would often stop me and say, you know, I watch every day for that one thing you do for me. I mean, I was doing Ethel Merman impressions and things that these kids had no idea what the hell I was doing. And, you know, there I was, you know, doing that for the adults or with, you know, uh, I, I, I we 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 did uh, jokes uh, on the show once. Um, <laughs> uh, what uh, hairstyle uh, sounds like an article of clothing? And the answer was bun and a hair. And I looked at the camera and said, "Unless you're a Jewish girl, and then you have a bagel." Well, all hell broke loose because <laughs> uh, the Anti-Defamation League, you know, calls Viacom and says I'm anti-Semitic and. You know, then I have to get on the phone with this guy and I go, you know, uh, sir, uh, my real name is Berkowitz. And he goes, even worse, you shouldn't say, you know, Jewish. And so there's all those stories, uh, you know, that existed uh, because we had no, no parameters. We had no boundaries. And, you know, Mike Klinghoffer, who was our exec producer, and Dana Calderwood and Alan Silverberg, who were the team that put the thing together and made me look so darn good, um, they were in charge. And Nickelodeon wasn't even looking at the tape, so they'd be on the air you know, four weeks later, and then the phone would ring. You know, did you say this? Did you do that? Holy cow! What are you doing over there? Kind of situation. So, you know, it was it was the wild, wild west back in 1986 when Nickelodeon went on the air, and I was sort of the leader of the pack. And uh, you know, I just got away with whatever I could get away with. And uh, you know, and that was part of the fun of the show. And that's what some of the things you know, kids tell me now. They go on to YouTube and look at episodes and go, "Wow, I, there's a whole other level on that show that I didn't even get when I was a kid." And I was going, "Yeah, we did that on purpose." And who knew that? you know all these years later people would watch and say oh i i didn't know that you know right uh so 
like I said, I'm experiencing that now with my children as we go back and we watch them, and we're very happy that they're available and out there. I know we recorded like 20 of them at once, so we've been making our way through those when Nick will run them a bunch at a time. Uh, in grade school, or I guess I was in junior high around uh, the time that Double Dare was uh, was really getting going, uh, there were two types of kids. You were a Funhouse kid or a Double Dare kid. Did you have a rivalry? What with was Jake that other show? Uh, exactly, that's what I'm saying. I was a double dare kid. Fun, Funhouse. Funhouse. <laughs> did you? Did, I heard of that show. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Uh, did you ever have a rivalry with JD Roth? Like, I mean, well, here's the deal with JD. Okay, I've known JD is actually my neighbor right now. Okay. Oh. Um, yeah, I've known JD since like 19 years old. All right, and so the day that he got Funhouse, and Funhouse was a direct ripoff of our show. Oh, he Had a better budget. Um. And um, so I, I called him in his dressing room and wished him well uh, on day one, okay? So there was never any rivalry. But we did screw with him all the time. We did this one physical challenge uh, where we had tombstones, and you had to throw slime and try and knock the tombstones over. And on one of the tombstones, it said JD, okay? <laughs> well, he went out of his mind. He was in his dressing room because he always watched our show, and he saw that, and he went berserk and called me and was all bent out of shape. And I went, J.D., it's a joke. You know, relax, chill, man. Have a good time. And and uh, then, you know, back in the day, there was this thing called the uh, Ace Awards, which was, you know, the, the Emmy of cable back in the right. day. And so when we, we won, the Ace Award is best game show. Uh, of course we did. And so we had the uh, the Ace Award on my podium the entire time, and I would pick it up every now and then, and I'd say, JD doesn't have one of these or, you know, Funhouse never got this, you know? And so, yes, I always, but that's my personality. Okay. I love to screw with people. And he was a kid at the time. I mean, he was, you know, 19, 20 years old. Um, and he thought I was making fun of him and we were just, you know, saying, Hey, look, you know, we created this thing. You took a gig because somebody offered it to you and good for you. And you're good at what you're doing. I've always thought, you know, he's a good guy and all that stuff. And by the way, he became a very successful producer and has done quite well in his life, uh, by the way, much better than me. Um, but uh, you know, you're right. I mean, there were some kids who loved that. The, the dumbest thing about Funhouse to me, the three times I watched it was, you know, when we did a physical challenge, you either got it done in 20 or 30 seconds or you didn't, or when you won the obstacle course, you either did or you didn't. There they, as I remember, you had coins or something. So after yeah. the stunt, you had to count one, to talk about anticlimactic. I mean, it's, you know, boring as whale poop, but, you know, good for them. They lasted a few years. Um, but, you know, the show people remember is our show and certainly not that show. And there were seven other versions of it as well. None of them had the, the shelf life that we did, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so did you, were you able to, with as busy as you've been, because you did a lot of things after Double Dare, and I'm, if people don't realize that, I'm sure that, that will, you know, be addressed uh, in the documentary as well, but you had a, a long career with the Food Network. Did you still be, have time to stay in touch with Robin and Harvey? Oh, yeah. I'm best friends with them. Uh, they do uh, Drunk Double Dare with me all the time. Uh, you know, Harvey lives in Philly. When I'm there, we have dinner a lot. Uh, talk to Robin all the time. I do a lot of uh, private uh, parties, and I always take Robin with me. So, yeah, we've. And by the way, Alan Silverberg uh, just texted me two seconds ago. Uh, Mike Klinghoffer, uh, Dana, and Alan and I are working on a project together right now. So yeah, uh, we're lifelong friends. I know I've had a, I know I've had a lot of crap jobs, but it felt like Double Dare was the most fun in the world. Like if I could imagine the best job in the world, it'd be it'd be up there. Would you? Would, would have, could you imagine a better job, or what are you thinking? 
No, no, that was, come on, man. I mean, the fact that they actually paid us to do that was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, uh, the best job in the history of television, uh, you know, from my perspective. I mean, certainly Unwrapped was a lot of fun and all the other things I've done in between, but that's the show that, like, you know, really we're going to get to go. I used to say in the morning, I guess, we're, let's go play TV, you know, and that's what we did. We used <laughs> to go play TV. It was amazing. Uh, so, Matthew, uh, earlier Mark mentioned uh, about how you were the driving force to get this movie made. Uh, as now it's finally, you know, it's coming to fruition. You guys have done all, a lot of the tough work. You, know, you see you still have a road ahead of you with the tour. But a lot of the, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff is done. Uh, it, do you feel that satisfaction when you look at it? Like, I did this, and I, you spent all those years to accomplish this goal. How does it feel? That's a that's a really good question. I appreciate your asking it actually because we obviously have been talking about that a lot. My uh, my crew, uh, Josh Yon and Eric Cups and John Nickham and some of the other people I've mentioned, um, you know, because we have lit led a lot of light over the last year and a half, two years. Um, you know, there are those of us who've gotten married, like myself and Josh, and people have had kids and people have switched jobs and working on other projects. Um, you know, this has been very labor of love for all of us. We've all had other jobs going on and things like that. So we have to keep looking at it and going, geez, was this worth it in the end? It's been fun and it's been great to get to get a lot closer with Mark and, and so forth. But the actual product is what counts. There's no A for effort here. What people are going to see on the screen is that, you know, hour and a half of the film, not the two years we, we you know, killed ourselves making this thing happen and all the ups and downs that we had along the way. So the answer to that question is, I, I agree with Mark. When I saw the first cut of the film, I cried. And my, as my wife would say, I don't cry a lot. I know a lot of guys like to say that, but I, I don't. Um, and for whatever reason, but I was tearing up because I think, A, it's a beautiful film, and I think there's some really great moments in it. It's funny. It's got pie fights. It's got slime. I mean, obviously, it's about Mark Summers. It's a fun film. But there's some real moments in there that I think are going to surprise people. And I cried also because I, it, there was definitely a sense right away, we did it. This movie works. People are going to like this. And this was, as Mark said, the very first cut when it was like two, you know, twice as long and it was very messy and the audio still needed to be remixed and the color correction was off. I mean, I was watching, you know, the rawest form that only four or five people will ever see. And, and right away I knew when we clean this up, when we cut it down, when we edit it a, a few more times and so forth, this is going to be something special. And I, I feel that that's what it is. I'm very confident that fans of Mark, fans of Double Bear, fans of Unwrapped, fans of television, fans of comedy, uh, fans of 80s, 90s nostalgia will really enjoy the film. But I also think just somebody watching the film who might not know anything about any of this um, will be able to enjoy it. And we, we worked very hard to make sure that both were true. We knew we needed to make something for the fans, but we also wanted there to be something for people who don't know anything about Mark. We know there are a lot of people like that out there, um, and we wanted a real story, and that's why Mark was very smart. I mean, you can't give me all the credit. i got to put some of the credit slash blame on him. One of the <laughs> reasons he kept saying no to the film was because, you know, you know, as he kept saying, you know, who cares about Mark Summers, but once we, once we actually figured out, wait a second, he's doing this theater show, about his life we can actually we would actually have some real forward moving drama a real narrative we ended up by a magic trick having all these kooky characters in indiana helping mark make the theater show all the people at bloomington playwrights project um who are some very interesting characters we really lucked out with that the theater itself is looks like a playhouse i mean it was so much fun so with that 
time, we were able to put together a film that, you know, even if you don't know who Mark is, you'll just enjoy watching someone struggle and work and overcome challenges to make a theater show about his life. You know, so and I, I feel that Matt had, good. He had a good point. By the way, I cried, too, uh, when they sent me the bill for getting them all to Bloomington and back. That was, uh, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I'm just joking, obviously. Um when when we started to do this one man show, the one thing I said is, if you don't know who Mark Summers is and you are trapped into going to this thing, it better be entertaining. And and I can say the same thing about the movie that if you don't know, if you flip by and you say, I, I don't know who this guy is, and and needless to say, there are a bazillion people who don't know. Will it grab them? Will it will it keep their attention? And will they sit there for an hour and fifteen minutes and watch this thing? And I think the answer is definitely yes because of, of the great job they did. And and uh, you know I guess uh, we'll all find out real soon if indeed that's the case. But uh, very proud of it. Uh, kudos to uh, to Matt and his team uh, for pulling this thing off or convincing me to say yes and uh, and making all this happen. Because trust me, man, I, I you know I don't know how you do it. I don't know how. You know, we're in six theaters uh, doing this. I, I don't, you know, that would have never happened. Uh, I don't need here to kiss uh, his uh, rear end here constantly. But I'm once again, I, I, it just magically happens. He calls me and goes, "Guess what? We're going to Baltimore. Guess what? We're doing this. Guess what? We're doing that." It's like, how do you how do you live? Don't you have a job? Don't you have to do things <laughs> Monday through Friday? But meanwhile, you know, because I'm going to tell you, uh, none of us are making any money on this thing. Uh, initially, I mean, the whole deal is hopefully we sell it to Netflix or somebody like that down the road and we recoup. But right now, nobody's been paid. And so, you know, why would anybody do that? Well, it's passion, okay? And and that's what I tell people who want to get in this industry. You know, if you want to do it because you want to be rich and famous, don't do it because it's not going to happen or chances are it won't. But if you have a passion and you would do this for free and, and you wake up every morning and you're motivated uh, to do something like this, then those are the people you want to hang out with. And that's what this whole experience has been about you know so uh, so that's it I unfortunately have to run but I appreciate the time you have given us you can sit and talk to Matt uh, forever uh, but I'm sure he's got seven other things to do as well but uh, thanks for your uh, you know helping helping us promote this thing and we hope to get a chance to watch it and then maybe pick up again after the fact and see what you guys thought of it yeah I will be there in Chicago so I cannot wait so thank you very cool hey thanks, thanks we'll talk soon. well to put it on paper and to act it out and go back and do it is why I guess I'm an emotional wreck. What he said to me years later was it was such good TV I didn't care. I defy anybody to ever look at an episode and say I was not having a good time. Yeah! I didn't talk about having cancer nationally because in show business it can ruin your career. He's had these weird and wild chapters. He seems like a kind of unstoppable dude. Highlighting his life in this theater performance is probably one of the bravest, most giving things somebody could do. I think there's a lot to learn, a lot to love, a lot to share, a lot to experience. But the life of Mark Summers, well, it should be a ride at an amusement park because it's got every twist and turn you can imagine. Uh, so Matthew, uh, as I look through here at the, uh, the schedule, I see that uh, October 19th, you guys are going to be in Austin, and it says that you guys uh, will be streaming nationally. Is that something that people will be able to just log on and, and view, or how is that going to work? What is, what's going to happen is um, we have been lucky enough to partner up with Alamo Draft House. As I mentioned, um, we've been partnering with a number of different organizations around the country, uh, locally and nationally, so that we can actually do these shows, because... As Mark said, uh, there's no money in this. 
none of us have any money. Um, we're all working class people for the most part with day jobs and the like. Um, so, you know, we don't have the funds to rent out spaces and crews and audio people and all the things that we need. So because of Mark and because of we've been fortunate, we found people that really like the film um, and just people that we know personally from all working around the country, we were able to work with these organizations that are actually uh, taking care of a lot of the costs for all these things that are going on. So the one that we're doing um, in Brooklyn is going to be a back-to-back -back show on October 12th, um, and we'll have, uh, you know, some live music. You'll get to see Mark Summers sing. Uh, we're <laughs> going to bring Ed Kilhoff back, who did the music for Double Dare, amongst a lot of other game shows and stuff. He was at my launch event for the 90 Second Y, so this will literally be the second time ever that they're playing the Double Dare song live, and he'll be kind of our, our studio band for the entire night of Q&A and everything else. But the big exciting one, as you said, is going to be Austin for sure on uh, on October 19th um, at the Alamo Draft House there in Austin on Slaughter Street. Um, they are going to not only do the event, but they're going to live stream it to a number of other theaters around the country. Um, and so people, you know, will be able to go to their theater, uh, one in Denver, one in Kansas City, various others. They can see it on our website at www.marksummersmovie.com as far as actually being able to go to a theater in your local community, an Alamo or an Alamo partner, and watching not only the film, but the entire event, which will be about three hours, including the film. So there's going to be a lot of different stuff going on. We're even going to have a slime tutorial at the end. And, you know, spoiler alert, I'm sure a lot of people know how that will end. Um, <laughs> but uh, a, lot, a lot of fun stuff will be going on. So if, you, if people can get out to Austin or get out to Brooklyn, I would highly recommend going to those shows. Otherwise, yeah, they'll be live stream from the Austin one. And we're very, very grateful of everything Alamo Draft House has been doing. They really have a very similar kind of uh, ethos that we do, which is, you know, let's make going out to the movie a real experience again, like it was when we were kids and we didn't have Netflix and we didn't have the internet and such. And you really had to go out and you'd meet your friends and, you know, you'd see the whole town out there. We're, we're really trying to emulate that again, because there is a very important thing here of, of community. And that's, we keep pushing that over and over again. Um, and that's a big part of what we're doing with this and, and what Mark's life is about and what the film is about. Um, so we're, we're very grateful that Alamo is working with us on this and that we are going to get to do this live stream on October 19th um, that people can find more out about on our website. That's awesome. I'm ho Like I said earlier, I'm hoping to go to the hideout uh, on the 26th of October. I haven't been there in many years, but I used to frequent there a lot to see bands. So i uh, hoping to make that show. And I can't wait. Like this... I know we talked three years ago uh, when about your book, and you mentioned you know you were trying to find a project to work with Mark on. But you know I congratulate you. You've certainly exceeded, I'm sure, even what you thought was possible. And this is awesome. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it, guys, and I, I enjoyed. You know, I was doing a lot of different interviews and podcasts and all different kinds of things with the Slime Book, as you remember. And the launch event was just so incredible. We got 900 screaming fans out there, and uh, you know, we packed that place. The 92nd Y said never had they had an event that, that big. Um, and we just, with the, all the live music and all the different aspects of that, getting 40 different Nickelodeon people to come out. You know, um, one of the other things I've learned from Mark is, uh, you know, to be modest, but also uh, uh, appreciative of when you are able to do something. I think that that is officially the largest pop culture reunion that's ever happened. I mean, we had 40, 45 different Nickelodeon people out there for a three hour long event with music and everything else and just to have been able to do that with something as important to all of us as classic Nickelodeon uh, has been a real gift that I've been given and I wanted to continue to work hard 
to keep putting stuff out like this Mark Summers documentary. Um, I'm going to be putting out a new book through HarperCollins in 2018 um, with uh, a, a friend of mine from The Simpsons. Um, and uh, we're, we're writing a little bit about that as well. Um, so it's just been a real blessing in my life to be able to meet people like Mark and meet my friends from The Simpsons, meet some of these other people that I've met along the way, uh, become close with them and help them to write books and films. Um, and, you know, more than anything, I'm just grateful that there are people like you guys, Lawrence and Michael, um, and the fans out there who uh, continue to watch these things and read these things and um, all the fun stuff that we're having uh, with all of this. So um, I'm just going to keep working hard and keep putting out great material. And, um, you know, I'm thankful that we can keep doing this um, and that I get support from people like Mark, that I get support from people like you guys doing the podcast and people, you know, the fans listening who want to see more of these movies and more of these books and everything else. So, um, you know, I can't wait to see where the future goes here. I think it's going to be a really fun next couple of years with so many other things coming out. So, Well, awesome. We can't wait to see the movie, and then we'll have you back when your book comes out, and we can discuss that. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Um, yeah, we, we literally just turned it in, and as Mark said, <laughs> I don't know, I'll wrap this up here, but uh, as Mark said, you know, none of us, uh, you know, there was no money really to work on the, the documentary over the last two years, and we all have day jobs and different things. I was working for a newspaper for a little bit when I'm not freelancing, and then, yeah, for about the last six months, I've been finishing this book about The Simpsons, and, uh, you know, that was a, that was quite a journey of itself, and a lot of work, and a lot of time, and, and a lot of traveling, and everything else, um, so... Um, it's it's been an interesting year for me, getting married and working on the Simpsons book and working on the Mark Summers documentary, and just juggling it all along with just again my regular freelance work. And when I was still working for the paper for a bit before I had I literally had to quit because I just didn't have time to finish the documentary and the book. Um, and uh, you know just keeping keeping the fires burning. You know, uh, right. when people ask what's the hardest part, it's you know the, the film is difficult for sure and complicated and working on a book is difficult and complicated no doubt about it but as a lot of my other author and filmmaker friends would probably say the hardest part is also you know living your life i mean you're still paying your bills and you're having to do laundry and get you know getting food and making food and cleaning the house and you know dealing with your loved ones and everything else that goes on with that and people getting sick and uh you know holidays and so to juggle everything is is quite quite a lot to deal with, um, and you know, but we're all learning how to do it. And I'm very grateful too that I have kind of amassed this group of friends all around the country doing so many different cool things. Um, and we sometimes get to work together, like on a documentary like this, and sometimes we're supporting each other's different projects that we're all doing, and just kind of learning from each other and taking you know advice from each other and saying, oh, how did you handle that interview, or what was it like going to that convention, or whatever it might be. So it's really fun to kind of be growing up um, in this field with so many of my different friends all around the country doing all different kinds of things. Some of them are even in the film. I, I, I'm thinking a lot here of my good friend, Cassine Gaines, who did the book about Pee Wee's Playhouse and Christmas Story and recently did the Back to Future one. He has a Dark Crystal one coming out soon. He's actually in our film as a pop culture historian talking about Mark and such from sort of a more scholarly level. And, you know, just becoming friends with people like Cassine over the years and, you know, helping each other through certain periods and supporting each other and giving each other advice has been a real treat also that I wasn't expecting when I first started thinking about becoming a writer and a filmmaker when I was younger. Um, so just, you know, again, it's community. And as Mark said, it's the family and the family just keeps growing. So I, I can't wait to continue doing this. Well, sounds great. And we can't wait to talk to you again. 
Uh, I will look for you uh, in Chicago if you will be there. I absolutely will. And, yeah, and then, uh, for all your Chicago people, hideouts um, on uh, October 26th. We are working with Mr. and Mrs. Wednesday night, my good friend uh, Lily Emerson and her husband Charlie. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun night and a, and a very different one, too, I have to say. A lot of the other screenings and events will be at places that hold, you know, 500 people, 1,000 people. We specifically wanted to end on a note at the hideout. I really like that place. I love Chicago. Um, Lily and I are very close. She's one of my artist friends I've been talking about. We're over the years. We've worked a lot together and supported each other. Um, and I wanted to do something with her and her husband. Um, and we said, you know, it'd be really fun to kind of end this on a, on a small place, a kind of little hipster bar, you know, sort of an underground little space that's sort of cool. But, you know, we're not going to pack a lot of people in there. Obviously, it only holds about 100, 150. But I think it'll right. be a really intimate experience, something a little different than some of the larger things that we're doing. So uh, definitely get your tickets now because they probably are selling out if they haven't yet since it's such a small space. But it should be a fun night for sure. So, All right. Well, thank you very much, Matthew. Okay, thanks. Thank I'm gonna go puke. Okay. <laughs> that was fun. That was. I feel. I felt real. Yep. It was real. <laughs> Everything we do is real. <laughs> Say more words, baby. Let's talk about it. Use your words, hmm. baby. Let's do a pony. Come on, baby. And nice and slow, say more words on the Mark Summer Show. Say more words. Okay. <laughs>